Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. I'm Faye. And I'm James. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast since we launched, you'll know that the University of Cambridge features pretty much in every conversation, be that student entrepreneurship, competitions, spin-outs, access to talent, or just the pull of the university for investment into the city. In fact, Cambridge was recently listed as number one for science and technology in the Global Innovation Index. So today, we're delighted to chat with Andy Neely, who is one of the key people at the university when it comes to developing and supporting the local ecosystem. Andy is the Senior Pro Vice-Chancellor for Enterprise and Business Relations. So, Andy, um, welcome. Our paths have crossed many times, but not really with anything to do with our day jobs, I suppose. You know, whether it's been on the Combined Authority Business Board, we've also both been involved in projects within Cambridge Head, and we can come on to those types of things um, shortly. So I'm super interested personally to know a little bit about your background. How did the whole role come about? You know, what was your background in in the university that actually took you to the pro um, vice-chancellor role? short version of my history. I joined Cambridge University originally back in the early 90s, actually, in the engineering department, just as I was finishing doing my PhD. I then had a joint post between engineering and the management school. So I was the university's first joint lecturer between the judge business school and the engineering department. Uh, Then went off to Cranfield School of Management around 2000 as a professor there. After I'd been at Cranfield for a couple of years, I was then running a big national research program in the UK based in London and then came back to Cambridge late 2000s, initially as a Royal Academy of Engineering professor and then became the professor of manufacturing. So at that point, I took over running the Institute for Manufacturing, which many people know, did that for a couple of years and then took the role of Pro Vice-Chancellor for Enterprise and Business Relations. So my shorthand description for that is I look after, across the university, everything to do with innovation, commercialisation, startup spin-outs and links with business. And how did that come about? Did you say, hey, there's a need or was there there something within the university that said, we want to do this, hey, you're the right person? So the the structure of the university, we've got the Vice-Chancellor who's effectively the, the Chief Executive. It's not really a Chief Executive role in the university but the vice chancellor is an equivalent position and then there are five pro vice chancellors and the pro vice chancellors look after big chunks of the university so one looks after all of the education programs one looks after all of research um, one looks after all the people issues lots of universities have a combined pro vice chancellor portfolio of research and innovation but in cambridge actually they're both really big portfolios our annual research budget varies a bit year to year but it's between five and six hundred million pounds that we end up spending on research that's a big job um and then the innovation side of that making sure that work has an impact on the world is also a big job and so we split those two into two uh, separate roles the university then advertises pro vice chancellor roles so it's uh, typically their internal appointments uh, normally they are three years so i'm on secondment effectively from my job as professor of manufacturing um, three years, if you like the job and uh, the university likes you, you can get renewed for three years. And then at the end of your six-year term, you go back to your underlying post in the institution. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the week's tech headlines from around the Cambridge cluster brought to you by Business Weekly. It's been a week of deals and raises. Johnson Matthey announced it was working with US company Plug Power and the companies are co-investing in the US to create the largest catalyst-coated membrane production facility in the world. The partnership underpins sales targets in the hydrogen technology space of more than 200 million by the end of 2025. Judge Business School spin out Resilience has unveiled a 26 million Series B funding round, which the company hopes will propel its international expansion plans. Resilience turns data into actionable insights, which empower organizations to understand and quantify the scope of climate risks to their operations. Now moving to Asia, CyberTrust Japan is now including local quantum computing company Continuum's quantum origin solution to strengthen security for IoT devices against current and future threats. And to wrap up in other news, Cambridge-based edge infrastructure company Sunlight.io has taken its Series A haul to more than 20 million, and Grant Park-based Stratospheric Platforms Limited has signed an exclusive deal with the largest telecoms infrastructure company in Indonesia. And now back to the show. You've got an incredibly broad portfolio there. You talked about innovation, commercialization, spin-outs, links with business. Um, you know, for a globally leading university, that's a big job. Um, especially as Cambridge has been recognized, I think, by the Virgin Money Report as the top city for startups in the UK uh, for 2023. So could you give us some specifics about what that looks like on a day-to-day basis? I know that you're involved in things like Cambridge Enterprise and Impulse, the Maxwell Centre, and many others. Um, just just kind of talk us through those kind of day-to-day involvements. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I tend to, if I think a bit more detail about the, the the role I hold, I sort of split into four different levels. Um, so the first level is all of the relationships the university's got with large corporate partners, typically corporates. So if you take AstraZeneca, we do something like 140 projects with AZ at any point in time. They're working with people in four of the six schools in the university. So there's a range of things from projects around AI to uh, machine learning to drug discovery, a real variety of things. So we've got about 20 or so strategic partners for the institution where we, if you like, um, manage that relationship at a university center level, clearly there are lots and lots of projects going on, and I'm not involved in all those projects, but there are some big issues that we both face as large employers, in the case of AZ, large employers in Cambridge, that we talk about all the time. So one big chunk of activity is just around all of those strategic partnerships. We launched or announced a new one recently with KPMG um, uh, around the future of work, and the first pillar in that partnership is all around uh, mental health and well-being of people. Mm. So that's one chunk. The second chunk is all of the kind of internal innovation, entrepreneurship activity in the university. And that's where a lot of the things that you mentioned come in, James. So you've got Cambridge Enterprise, you've got the Maxwell Centre, there's the Impulse Programme, there's stuff that's going on in the business school, um, there's idea space. There's about 40-odd initiatives that support innovation and entrepreneurship across the university. Um, and I'm not, I'm aware of them. Um at first sight, you sort of look at them and think, well, how do they fit together? But people have heard me say this before. I think of the innovation ecosystem as sort of five 
um, elements. So there's a foundation, which is the kind of knowledge engine. It's all of the ideas that are spinning out of actually not just the, the university, but, but firms locally as well. Uh. Three pillars that sit on that. The first one's about support. So that's finance and IP. Where do I go to get money to support the growth of my business? Um, space, uh, where do I base my business? So I might come base at the Bradfield Center. I might base an idea space. I may go to Eagle Labs. There's uh different strengths and weaknesses for all of those. And then the third pillar is skills. And that's how do I get people with the right skills. And so that's where the training programs come in and the work judge is doing. And then across the top, if you think of the base as the knowledge engine, the three vertical pillars across the top, I often talk about connected Cambridge, which is all the networks that exist. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that's really special about Cambridge is the way that you can connect with people who have similar interests to you, different interests to you, but can help you on your journey as an entrepreneur. So when I look at those 40 initiatives across the university, they all fit neatly into that framework. And it's not, it wasn't designed system. We didn't set out and say, mm -hmm. we're going to structure it this way. But actually, it's quite a useful way of describing the ecosystem. So my second part to my job, if you like, is people will come with new initiatives and say, we think we need an X, whatever an X might be. Mm. Um, and, and to a certain extent, I'm thinking about, will that fit well with the ecosystem? And if so, how can I support it uh, and help make it happen? So if you take Start Code on Deep Tech Labs, yep. you know, they, they were launched because we went, we've got a gap around the accelerator space. We've got good physical space for startups. We've got good capital with venture capital, the angel networks and so on. Um, but actually what we need is some way of taking good ideas and putting them through a structured accelerator program to make them investment ready. Hence Deep Tech Labs and Start Code on get launched. So that's the second level. The third one is then connecting with the city. So amongst the PVC team, I tend to be the one that's most connected with the external networks in the city. So Cambridge Network, Cambridge Ahead, I sit on the Greater Cambridge Partnership um, as the university's representative on the board there. And then the fourth level is more of a regional piece. So I'm quite involved in discussions around links between Oxford and Cambridge, um, the pan-regional partnership that people talk about. I'm involved, um, as Faye was saying, on the, the business board as well. So um, really connecting with the wider region. So that's a nice segue actually into a specific uh, project I'd like to talk to you about, which is Innovate Cambridge. I was privileged to be invited along to the uh, the Innovation Summit held at King's back in September. So I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on the goals of that program and how that fits into that strategy. It feels like the university is taking a much more proactive stance in the in the development of the ecosystem. Is that fair? Yeah, so Innovate Cambridge is a really interesting initiative, actually. It, the, the, the genesis was some benchmarking work that Cambridge Enterprise and Cambridge Innovation Capital did, where we were looking at other sort of city, university city innovation ecosystems and just asking the question, what are they doing? What could we learn from them? So you would you go to places like Boston and look at Boston or Silicon Valley. Um, Shenzhen in China is an interesting example. Actually, some of the things happening in Israel uh, around sort of the startup nation or the scale-up nation as increasingly they're trying to badge themselves. We also looked at places like San Diego. So some of the, the normal places you'd look and some of the, uh, the less usual suspects. And a number of things came out of that benchmarking study. But I think one of the most important was that actually when you look globally, at the innovation ecosystems that are either traditionally have been successful or alternatively are growing and you can see that they will be really successful in the future. There's a really strong partnership between the local community, so that's partly the citizens, it's partly the local politicians, the business community and the university, the research and development community. Mm. 
I, I think Cambridge has been incredibly strong over the years in terms of allowing the innovation ecosystem to evolve and people have set things up and they've got things going. And partly the physical size of Cambridge helps because because of that connected Cambridge point that yeah. people know each other. We, 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 we're connected, we know what others are up to and so you can pump into people and get involved in the right networks. But there's a danger that as Cambridge both grows in size, but also it, physical size, and in terms of numbers, initiatives, and activities, becomes really difficult if you come into the system and you're joining, trying to navigate your way around yeah. it, basically. Yeah. So, so what we were really spotting or looking at these other ecosystems was this sort of more uh, deliberate partnership between the local population, politicians, businesses and the university. And that really led then to a series of conversations back over the summer, which the previous vice chancellor hosted, um, or at least the initial conversation he hosted, and then a, a subsequent conversations with some with venture capitalists, some with local businesses, some startups, some large businesses, some people in the university, right. people in the science parks and so on, just saying, you know, what, what should we do? And a, and a really fundamental question, which I think is a nice way of framing it, was that we talked about sliding door moments. And we said there are certain choices that different people made in Cambridge at particular points in time that have really fundamentally changed the future of the city. So the science park that we're sitting on, you know, Trinity Colleges, uh, John Bradfield's decision, along with others, to create the science park yeah. 60 plus years ago yeah. was a really fundamentally important sliding door moment for the, the city. AstraZeneca's choice to come and locate here is a really important sliding door moment for the city. And so the conversation we're having was, what are the sliding door moments that we should be thinking about as a collective now that in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, people will look back and go, I'm so glad that generation did that. That's really helped move us on to the next um, stage. And so really that's, that's the purpose behind Innovate Cambridge is to try and identify what are the things that collectively we should be doing now to help innovation continue to thrive in this city. And do you think that approach has been lacking then for the UK? Is that why you had this international uh, element to the conference with all of these case studies from different cities that are following a you know a strategy along those lines? Um, I think I mean I think there are examples around the UK of people trying to do similar things. Actually, um, I think some of the international examples. It's just good to look externally and see yeah. what can you learn, and they just bring a fresh perspective. So I th one thing that was really nice about the Innovation Summit for me was that the interplay between the home team, people who lived in Cambridge for a long time, understand how the place works, telling their part of the story, but then also hearing about uh, some of the initiatives in the US or in Israel and just just thinking a little bit differently as well. And it's that, it's that interplay. So it's really a hunt for interesting ideas we can learn from. Let's talk about GrowthWorks. It's the fully funded program that's supporting the leaders of ambitious growth businesses to scale and double their profits and productivity. If you're looking to take your business to the next step, GrowthWorks will support you to plan bigger, scale faster, and stay ahead of the game so you can deliver on both your financial and market share targets. Exclusively for businesses across Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, GrowthWorks is here to help you. Get started and arrange a call with them on www.growthworks.uk. So 
So this is Cambridge Tech Podcast, and obviously we talk about a lot of tech, and you've already talked about some of the entrepreneurial things that you support. But actually, everyone who works in the tech businesses in Cambridge are citizens. And one of the things that you do with regards to business relations is improving how people get to work, how people work, where they work. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about those type of initiatives and and also why you think it's important that the University of Cambridge is involved in that discussion? Clearly, the technology advancements matter, but actually to make a successful technology business, to make a successful technology cluster, there's a whole host of other things we have to worry about. We have to worry about creating a nice place to live. We have to worry about a place that's affordable for people to live. We have to worry about being able to develop skilled people, either attract them to the region or homegrown skilled people who've got the right talent and capability. Everybody knows at the moment, all employers I talk to, including the university, are struggling with uh, recruitment of staff. Um, and how do we uh, create a, a space where people can come and work? And then particularly, I think, in a Cambridge context, given the growth of the city, the whole set of questions around transport, infrastructure, how we move people around, particularly if you think about how the city's developing. And you know, I talked about Connected Cambridge before. Connected Cambridge is not just the networks. It's also actually making those connections. And how do I, from working in West Cambridge, easily get to the Science Park or Science Park North or the Cambridge Biomedical Campus? We need a really good transport infrastructure to allow that to happen. The current setup uh, that we have in Cambridge needs to evolve because we can't just all rely on our own personal cars to drive us around the place. Congestion gets too significant. It's not a sustainable answer either from an environmental perspective. So we need to rethink not just the way we develop, deploy technology and grow those businesses, but how we build the entire infrastructure that's around that. So there's so much that you're involved in, and I hope you don't mind me saying it's a huge amount of work for for one person. How do you prioritise it? You know, well, actually, I'm going to be cheeky. How do you prioritise it? And are there any elements of those four areas of the portfolio that you like more that, you know, is, is kind of your sweet spot? The way I described my portfolio was the original configuration. I actually uh, now also look after all the change programs in the university, but I'm not going to go into that okay. bit of the portfolio. How do I prioritise? A couple of ways. Um, the first thing is getting really good people. I've got really good teams of people working with me. And so whether it's Dermot O'Brien, who runs Cambridge Enterprise, and the the whole team there and the way they're energised around the innovation ecosystem, or uh, Catherine Hasted, who runs the Strategic Partnerships Office, the people looking after the change programmes I mentioned I've just uh, also picked up. It, it's actually about getting really good teams of people. The second thing, I think, is it's knowing when to go and intervene and when to trust the people that are doing the jobs. I mean, I, I'm constantly trying to understand actually that that bit of the organisation or that bit of my portfolio needs a bit of attention at the moment. Those three bits are fine. They can they can do without me for a while. And so it's really trying to just judge where you need to go and intervene. Uh, and then the third thing is, sadly, long hours. So you can't fit it all in a, a normal day. And so it is, it is quite a busy job. So are you dodging the question about which bit's your favourite? Not dodging the question about which bit's my favourite. Um, what I really love is trying to make things better. Actually, I get a bit, I get a high out of doing something and thinking, well, that was really good, that worked really well. The slight problem, this is a bit like an addictive drug. Once I've done something, I get, immediately I need the next high, the next thing that's gone well. So 
you know, I can get a high from, I've just had a book published. And I, when the book arrives, I pick it up and go, that's fantastic. But that lasts for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going, oh, we're, what am I going to do next? So it's a kind of restlessness. Of, and, and actually that's the bit I like best. It's just going, oh, that's worked really well. It's made things a bit better. Uh, but now I'm going to move on to something else. It's fascinating, Andy. Um, uh, and appreciate you taking the time out to come onto the show. Um, I think the final question, uh, you hold such an important role in the local ecosystem. Uh, you, you're probably the perfect person to ask the question to. What excites you most about the future of Cambridge for both 2023 and beyond? Uh, I think Cambridge is fantastic. Uh, but I mean that at the the city, the wider region, and uh, actually, most locally for me, the, the university itself. I mean, I'm every day I meet people who are just doing really inspiring things. And it's a joy to be able to work with people who are committed to changing the world, to try and make the world a better place, basically. Um, you know, we, we, and we can point to time after time after time where this city has come up with things where it really has influenced um, the way we all live. So whether that's development of IVF technology, uh, monoclonal antibodies underpinning the uh, best-selling drugs in the world, electric vehicles, battery-fast charging technologies, and also, I think, the way that collectively we work together. So one of the things the pandemic really taught me, if you think about the way that AstraZeneca, GSK, and the university worked together to build a testing center on the biomedical campus, we pulled together something in the space of three weeks when we were desperate to build testing capacity that if you'd said to me prior to the pandemic, you're going to do something like that, I would have said, there's no way we could do that. It would take months and months and months. But it was partly the quality of the relationships, the fact there's great people around, and that that kind of unifying goal in the case of the testing centre to try and build something to address national need. It's that excitement that, that I think is just brilliant about this place. Um, and what does the future hold? I think I think more of that. I mean, I think not. hopefully not more of the pandemics. Um, <laughs> but it's about bringing people together who have really interesting ideas and then trying to create an environment where they say, actually, we can get these ideas out into the hands of people across the world mm. to make their lives a better place. Clearly, you know, at a global level, we face significant challenges around sustainability, around equality, um, uh, the whole diversity inclusion agenda and so on. There's all sorts of issues, not just here locally, but nationally and internationally we have to address. But I think this city and the collective talent in this city can play an important role in helping move the world forward on some of those things. Andy, that's great. Thanks so much for making the time to come onto the show today. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. 